Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast by Jim Power and Chris Johns that looks at the major political, economic and financial developments around the world from a uniquely Anglo-Irish perspective. All our podcasts can be found at our Substack site and all good podcast platforms. Hi, Chris. Good to talk again. The agenda today is basically an update on some data releases in the UK and Europe. Cost of living package has been announced for Ireland. I think that is worth the discussion. There's been quite a bit of controversy or discussion here over the last 24 hours about a piece in the Financial Times where Gabriel Malouf, the head of the central bank, the governor of the Central Bank of Ireland, uh, was talking about Ireland's growth performance and trying to defend it and elicited a strong response from people like Paul Krugman. So I'd like to discuss that. The UK situation um, regarding Brexit and particularly the Northern Ireland Protocol, some progress appears to be being made there. So I'd like your perspective on that because I think you watch that a lot more closely than I do because quite frankly, Anything to do with Northern Ireland, I find um, extremely boring and off-putting. Uh, but I know you like this detail, so um, I'll hand that over to you at that stage. Just to start on the data outlook, uh, or update at least, we have spoken quite a lot over the last few weeks about um, the more upbeat global economic assessment and about economic activity indicators uh, surprising somewhat on the upside. And we got more of that today. And just to run through very quickly, we had a German ZEW survey of economic sentiment. 
and there was a sharp increase in that economic sentiment indicator in February. It jumped from 16.9 to 28.1. And to put that in context, back in September, that was minus 61.9. So that the the sort of improvement in economic sentiment we're seeing everywhere certainly being reflected in Germany as well. In the United Kingdom, we got the Composite Purchasing Managers Index. And just to explain, the Purchasing Managers Index is a diffusion index where a reading above 50 signifies more companies are expanding than contracting. A reading below 50 signifies that more companies are contracting than expanding. So the Composite Purchasing Managers Index, which is basically um, a weighted average of the manufacturing and the services index, um, the Composite one jumped from 48.5 to 53 in February. And that's the first time. Which country is that for, Jim? Sorry, that's the United Kingdom. Beg your pardon. That is the first time it's been above 50 since July 2022. Um, the services component up from 48.7 to 53.3. That's the first time that one has been over 50 in six months. And the manufacturing one is still in contractionary territory. Um, it has increased from 47 to 49.2. Okay, still contracting, but the rate of contraction is certainly decelerating. So I think the UK economy, despite all of the negativity, um, is showing quite a level of economic resilience. In Jim, the Euro- if I might yes. just interrupt you there for a second on the UK, because it's worth a mention as well, because the it's a, it's a proxy indicator for economic activity, if you like. But we had some data on the monthly public finances for January, yes. which, just to cut to the chase, came in much better than expected. Yeah, I think a lot of people are expecting actually a negative number, but there was a big surplus. It wasn't as big a surplus as it was last January, and there was all that kind of stuff, but it was a positive surprise, consistent with the idea that the economy just might be a wee bit stronger than people previously thought. And Chris, I think it just goes to prove the point we have made ad nauseum for some time about how economic activity is essential to generate the resources uh, to fund everything else in an economy and in the society. And, you know, we're seeing that there's a little bit of growth in the UK is generating some improvement in the public finances. And, and of course, that's been a massive story here in Ireland um, for quite some time now. The other thing it reinforces, Jim, the thing that we go on, another thing we go on ad nauseum about is how unforecastable an awful lot of these indicators are. Because we've talked about now two broad sets of numbers, European, including the UK, economic activity, surprising on the upside. In other words, surprising economic forecasters. And that public finance number really did surprise forecasters, including the government's UK government's official budget watchdog, the OBR. And that's not to have a go at any of those forecasters, not not to have a go at the OBR. It just shows you just how difficult it is to get forecasts right. Yes, indeed. Indeed, it does. And uh, the improvement we've seen in sentiment over the last couple of months everywhere is reflecting very definitely the decline in energy costs. And of course, the opening up of China is helping as well. But it just shows you how sentiment and behavior and how people are feeling has such a significant impact on economic outcomes. Um, In the euro area, we're seeing pretty much the same sort of story evolve. The Composite Purchasing Managers Index increased from 50.3 to 52.3 in February. So that indicates that 
the rate of expansion is improving. Um, and indeed, the expansion in February is the strongest since May of last year. Um, looking at the breakdown of that, um, here again, we see strong growth in the services sector, and that's a post-COVID phenomenon, um, 50.8 up to 53. That's an eight-month high. The manufacturing was a little bit more mixed. It declined from 49.3 to 48.5. Uh, but as always, the devil is in the detail. And there's one important component of that manufacturing um, index, which is production and future production expectations that actually um, expanded. Um, but, you know, in overall terms, you'd have to say in the euro area and in the United Kingdom, um, and I've mentioned Germany, which is obviously part of the euro area, but definitely economic activity is surprising on the upside. And indeed, that is totally consistent with what we've been talking about and seeing in the United States in recent times. So from the perspective of central bankers, I guess for central bankers like the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, particularly these data releases we're seeing these days um, will certainly strengthen their resolve to increase interest rates further and will certainly, from their perspective at least, justify the more bearish tone, particularly the European Central Bank has been taken on the interest rate front in recent times. Um, and as we've discussed, they, the ECB kind of bizarrely announced at the last meeting that rates would be increased by another half percent in March. So clearly the European Central Bank has a sense that these improved economic indicators are coming through and um, is um, speaking and acting accordingly. Yeah, the weather economic rubber hits the road on this one, Jim, is on the interest rate call. Mm. And you're talking about European inter in <clears throat> excuse me, interest rates going up there. There's been a big adjustment of expectations in the United States as a result of their economic numbers coming in since the turn of the year better than expected. And we spoke in the last podcast about perhaps interest rates going to 6% in the United States. There's one or two people out there who've run something called the Taylor Rule, which is a very old-fashioned, uh, long-standing rule that tries to, to help central bankers set the, the optimum, the best, most appropriate interest rates. It's not a perfect tool, and they don't always adhere to it. They don't follow it slavishly. But the Taylor rule is telling the United States Federal Reserve to put interest rates up to 9% now. Now, that's pretty um, scary. Yeah, that is very scary. Absolutely. And what that all of this has done is elicit talk of landings. Now, that's got nothing to do with your staircase and what happens in your house. It's whether we're going to get a soft, hard or no landing at all for the economy. And the reason why we talk about a landing is the way in which the economy comes off its inflationary peak. Where is it going to land? And in particular, where is the inflation side of the economy going to land? And a lot of people are saying, for example, very simply, this just means higher interest rates. And we'll have to deal with that first. And you can see the US stock market as we speak. It's having a bad day. Not an awful day, but it's having a bad day as it's trying to cope with these higher interest rate forecasts. We spoke last week about how we were surprised about how the stock market wasn't reacting to the higher interest rates. That seems to have started to me. Let's see what happens from here. But this landing thing is really interesting because one of the ways in which you can push that metaphor just a wee bit too hard is that if you are going to have a hard landing for the economy, when that landing starts, what does it look like? 
it looks like a soft landing, doesn't it? Obviously, things happen gradually and incrementally in economies. And the way in which things are happening right now suggests from a growth perspective that we're not going to get the recession, that growth is actually going to be all right, and that central bankers, from far from having done too much, have done too little. And it's all going to get very febrile, I think, all of this discussion, all of these metaphors. I think people are whistling in the dark as to what is going to happen next. The fact that economies have taken off again has really thrown a curveball at all economic forecasters out there, ourselves included. Although we're in our defence, we've been talking about this, these signs of economic growth for a couple of months now. I think we, we've been on top of this, he says, blowing smoke up our own firmament. Since, since early December. That's right, Jim, we have. So um, I, I do think that it's, it's thrown a huge curveball, as I say. And I'm not entirely sure where interest rates are going to go now, because if I was a central banker, I'm not sure what I'd do. But I think their default position, particularly in the United States, but as you say, also Europe, is that whatever you thought interest rates were going to be, they're going to be higher for longer. Uh, yeah, I guess I had called ECB rates to three and a half percent. And I think they're definitely going to four percent plus at this juncture. So, the only way um, that's not going to happen, I think, Jim, is if the data on inflation surprises as well. And so far, it it hasn't. It's actually proved a wee bit sticky coming down. But if this growth was to come through and inflation was to continue to fall, that would be the ultimate soft landing. I think that's what people mean by a soft landing is that you get you, you don't get a recession. You get some economic growth. Labour market stays reasonably healthy, um, if not very robust as it is at the moment. And inflation continues to fall. That's like an, an immaculate landing. And I think a lot of people... I'll have their doubts about that because a it hasn't happened historically in the US. I think it's happened twice in their economic history. I was reading a piece of piece of economic history only yesterday, actually. So it's very rare, and there's a lot of disagreement about there about what happens next. I agree, which is central central bankers are all over the place at the moment. But I, I think that something they will really be looking at at the moment. Obviously, they're going to be looking at this news flow that's coming out, surprising slightly on the upside. Uh, but I think they also will look at the tightness of labor markets, um, a 3.6% unemployment rate in the States, a 6.6% unemployment rate in the euro area. Uh, that is indicative of tight labor markets. And of course, you know, inevitably, we're going to see some upward pressure on wages, and that will scare central bankers i think also so uh, as you say i think the default position for central bankers is still to tighten more aggressively than the markets or anybody else had previously believed possible so in, interesting to see how that evolves but it raises like, a question that we talked about ages ago jim about what you know if one of the fundamental problems with our economic system that we've got is inequality in places like the united states and the united kingdom less so in Ireland, uh, then wage inflation would be a good thing, one presumes. The problem I think the central banks have got is that what would be perfect for them would be a bit of wage inflation to alleviate the inequality that has grown in those two economies, in particular in recent years, and for companies to have to wear it on their profit margins. Because company profits in aggregate are at all-time highs, <clears throat> margins are at all-time highs, and to use old fashioned language, the share of GDP that goes to workers goes up a bit and the share of GDP that goes to, to capitalists, to companies, to business goes down a bit. 
the stock market wouldn't like that, of course. Unfortunately, the central banks, that's not the world they're dealing with, because one of the features of the modern economy is lack of competition. And I have a feeling that what they believe would be that if wages do go up, companies will just pass it on in profit margins because our economies are not competitive enough. And there's enough oligopoly, monopoly power out there. See, again, to use old fashioned languages, the companies will fight to retain their profit margins and they'll succeed. So what we'll get from wage increases will be inflation. It won't be that very benign shift of the share of GDP going to workers relative to businesses. That, I think, is is the um, most likely outcome here. And that's what's, and that's another reason to expect central bankers, I think, to be quite wary about what happens next yeah. and for higher interest rates, therefore. Chris, I'm um, irritable today. I'm a bit pissed off, to be honest. Um, here in Ireland, we had the government today launching the latest cost of living package, 1.2 billion with 470 million of that going to increase social welfare payments. Okay, uh, why am I pissed off? Well, number one, the last time the government introduced a cost of living package really was the budget back in September 27th last year. And the usual suspects were out complaining that this isn't enough, that they would have to do more, etc., etc. But it was always the case, you know, the government took the approach of implementing these once-off measures in the main because the government didn't want to see these spending increases becoming permanently entrenched in the spending profile because once committed to spending is very difficult to roll back on and that's why we had the series of once-off measures but we, we said it in the podcast just after the budget millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If, if required, there would be another cost of living package sometime down the road. And that's exactly what has been delivered today. 1.2 billion, as I say, 470 million in um, social welfare increases. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, I'm not going to go through the detail, it'll be covered in the media, but there's, you know, a, a lot of sort of um, lump sum benefit payments to people. So on social what's the welfare. balance between but, lump sum, one-off and continuing permanent increases? Well, the 470 million, as I understand it, is all once off. Okay. So okay. tell me, Jim, so, why are you pissed off? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm pissed off because I've already seen the reaction from the usual suspects saying this isn't enough. Um, but they always say that. 
Exactly. The poverty Nothing. industry is coming out saying that rather than these once off payments, that there should have been a permanent increase um, in social welfare, etc. Um, never happy. You know, they're, they're never going to be happy. And, and of course, we, we have all the politicians in opposition, all of whom are on the left, actually, um, all up in arms again today, still not happy. And then, OK, so that was the spending part of it. Then we had um, a significant number of sort of tax announcements. Um, as you know, the VAT rate was reduced from 13.5% to 9% for the hospitality sector, for hairdressing and so on. But it was also reduced on gas and electricity, okay, from 13.5% to 9%. Um, those reductions in the nine, the, the reduction in the 9% tax rate was due to revert to 13.5% from the 1st of March. However, in the package today, the VAT rate on gas and electricity, that reduction will be extended to the 31st of October. Okay. And for the hospitality sector and for uh, hairdressing and so on, uh, the 9% was due to increase the 13.5% on the 1st of March. That's now been extended to the 1st of September. So in other words, the tourism industry gets to avail of the lower VAT rate for the busy tourism season. So I, I certainly would be in favour of that. And I have argued for that for some time. Um, there is a phased restoration. You know, when the cost of living crisis hit um, last year, there was a significant reduction in the excise duty on petrol, diesel and um, <clears throat> excuse me, gas oil. So we're going to see over the coming months those excise duties being increased back to normal in a stage basis. So on the 1st of June, there's going to be a six cent increase in a litre of petrol and five cent on a litre of diesel. And then on the 1st of September, there'll be an increase of seven cent on, and this is cent for petrol, five cent for diesel. And then on the 31st of October, there'll be a full restoration of the old excise duties um, with a final increase of eight cent for petrol and six cent for diesel. OK, so, you know, hopefully global energy prices will continue to put downward pressure on petrol and diesel. And but some of if there is a reduction, some of that is obviously going to be taken back with higher um, excise duties. So wh why am I pissed off? Well, I'm pissed off, number one, because um, people still not happy. And, um, you know, I saw I, di I, I just worked out today that a jobless couple with three kids will be getting 56,000 from the taxpayer this year. Okay. Not every, not surely. Is is that every couple with three kids, or does it depend on other? A jobless, a jobless couple. No, no with that, three I kids. know. So if you're unemployed with three kids, it, yeah, it can't. It, sure, is it axiomatic that you automatic that you get fifty grand, or is it depending on other yeah, circumstances? 50, Fifty-six grand. There are very various. Uh, you build in the various allowances that um, unemployed people get and child benefit, etc. Oh, yeah. I don't think this is new, Jim, because I remember an unemployed construction worker, a friend of mine, years ago saying to me, I'm really glad I'm unemployed in Ireland rather than in Britain. Uh, well, uh, absolutely. And and that's fine. I'm I'm not criticizing it. I'm just putting it out there as a fact. OK. And um, but yet there is still this belief that just we need to just keep increasing spending, keep using taxation to fund this and um that there is a limit to this and and if if the recipients um and if 
the left was actually happy with what's happening. And we do have a pretty generous social welfare system here, but yet they're still never happy. And what really pissed me off today actually was um, there was a comment from Eamon Ryan in relation to the excise duty and the VASH extensions. He was saying that restoring the tax base cannot be put on. Uh, sorry, I'll rephrase. Restoring the tax base cannot be put on the long finger forever and the day. I mean, restoring the tax base, I mean, is he suggesting that the tax base has been significantly reduced? You know, we took in 83 billion last year. We've never been collecting as much tax on the income tax side, on the corporation tax side, on the VAT side particularly. There's obviously, you know, some, there's obviously some taxes that he thinks needs restoring, and I guess the diesel and other excise it's, it's It's the 9% oh. VAT rate he's particularly talking about, oh, but right. I guess given yeah. given the ideological perspective, you're probably talking about excise duties as Jim, well. Jim, I think we need to be pragmatic. I mean, surely if you're a lobbyist, whether you're a lobbyist for lower corporation taxes, so whether you're a business lobbyist or you're a social welfare warrior, it's your job never to be happy. You're never going to say, I've got enough, are you? I mean, that's just no, the nature of things. No, no, you're not. You're, you're correct, Chris. Um, I'm, I'm being unduly. But it, it is it is the job of, of somebody out there. Maybe maybe you. I don't know. Uh, maybe us. Um, but certainly the body politic, I think, to occasionally stand up and say, oh, yeah, you actually do have enough. Whoever you are. I'm not suggesting any one particular group at the moment does have enough. Yeah, I think we need to ask these questions. How Chris, much is enough? Yeah, I mean, I, I would love... And that to see an acknowledgement, number one, that we have an incredibly progressive income tax system. And that number two, we have an incredibly strong redistributive social welfare system. Okay, Um, obviously, if resources were unlimited, uh, you'd love to allow social welfare increase to infinity. But resources are not unlimited. You know, choices have to be made. Um, I I would actually prefer at the moment to see more of these financial resources being directed at um, getting housing supply on stream, to be honest. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's the point point that politics made. Politics is about choices. Politics is about trade-offs. And the government's made its choice. It's it's bribing people with money. It's trying to buy votes. And by the looks of the opinion polls, it actually might be working. Is that right? Well, yes. Um, Sinn Féin continues to slip in the opinion polls. Um, You know, the combined parties of government, I think, now are on 52, 53% in the latest poll, um, which... Uh, you know, three years into or less, well, two and a half years, nearly three into the life of government actually isn't a bad place to be. So, yeah, I mean, Sinn Féin certainly slipping. And I think the one thing that has really damaged Sinn Féin in recent times has been the attack they made on Pascal Donoghue over his election expenses. And suddenly that backfired very badly on Sinn Féin. And apparently there's a whole load of complaints into the Standard and Public Office, SIPO, at the moment about Sinn Féin's expenditure. So, uh, And, of course, Sinn Féin backed off very quickly of a no-confidence motion, Pascal Donoghue. Um, and it, it just goes to prove the old adage that you shouldn't throw stones in a glass house. Thankfully, I, I think pragmatic people are actually recognising that, um, you know, the government is doing a reasonable job there are still serious challenges. You know, the health service 
was under serious pressure over the winter. That is starting to ease now because um, illness is starting to ease as we move into the spring and towards the summer. Uh, housing, as we've discussed, ad nauseum is another big challenge. Nothing is perfect. But I think, you know, the government is doing a reasonable job. We have a 4.4% unemployment rate. We have um, 2.55 million people working. Um, we're funding all of these budget packages out of budget surpluses. Um, so, you know, it's it's not too bad. And these are the choices you're making. These are the trade-offs that you're acknowledging and and choosing between. And uh, I wonder if you actually said to the average citizen in Ireland, you've chosen to spend your spare resources on things like social welfare payments and cost of living crisis packages rather than housing and health. What do you think they'd say? Good question. Well, it's 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 quite obvious um, what the government is delivering. That's what um, a lot of people want. Yeah, I would say you know usually mm. people get what they want. Um, yeah. not not always, but we usually get the government we deserve. And we they usually make choices on our behalf. Not always the choices that we as individuals would make, but collectively seems to be Jim that you are getting pretty much what you want as a country. And that all all of the belly aching, you know, um, put it to one side and say things aren't actually nearly as bad as perhaps they are sometimes portrayed. We've talked about that a lot, but let's yeah. not let's not go on about that. Chris, can I give you two minutes to give me your take on the Northern Ireland Protocol? Okay, two minutes. How, gosh, um, how do I sum up eight hundred years of history in two minutes, Jim? <laughs> um, perhaps to say that I think it's probably going to take another eight hundred years. And that's not being too facetious, actually. What's happened is that you've got uh, an agreement that is actually the outlines of which have been on the table for two years to to do a deal on the the wretched Northern Ireland protocol to attenuate some of its worst effects. And you've got various constituencies crying foul at the moment. You've got the DUP, who actually have a point, not not a huge one, but they do have a point um, in terms of the arguments they're making about... consultation and uh, agreement and nobody ever nobody in Northern Ireland's ever agreed to um, a border down the Irish Sea and it's important that people in Northern Ireland do agree to whatever the arrangements are, are being made. You've got the politics of the Tory party which for decades now have been toxic and have infected this debate and you you've got separate from all of the actual underlying truth, underlying falsehoods going on with the arguments with the DUP and which arrangements are the best ones to make. You've got Boris Johnson seeing this, Northern, this these discussions with the EU as a route back to being prime minister again. And so there's a really bad actor on the stage and it's called Boris Johnson and he's there throwing rocks, hurling from the ditch, all those metaphors. And it's a mess. And Rishi Sunak uh, has to discover whether he's got a backbone or not to stand up to these people and whether or not he's going to push his pragmatic compromise through or not. And at the moment, it looks like not. It could change, could change in the next 10 minutes. But at the moment, it looks like any deal that was hoped to have been announced this week has been pushed back. A lot of people are starting to say it's not going to happen. And um, we don't know. They're still talking we can hope that it happens. I've got a solution, Jim, a solution that's never been tr- thought about or proposed. You know, all these red and green channels that are the current solution. 
how about we keep both borders completely open, the one in the Irish Sea and the one on the land, the island of Ireland, but all goods that go from the north to the south have to go by sea and come through Dublin. Therefore, being subject to EU checks, satisfying all the requirements of the UK single market, because that keeps everything flowing between GB and Northern Ireland very smoothly. It keeps the border, apart from trucks, completely open. And of course, the Republic can send what it likes to the North, because the North will never worry about that. Um, Of course, it has the pragmatic uh, um, criticism that uh, it lengthens the supply chain time and it imposes huge costs on Northern Ireland business. But if you if you don't accept that you're going to have to have something like the EU and, G- and the UK have worked out at the moment, which both the DUP and the hard nutters in the Conservative Party don't like, you've got the old problem about Brexit has created an unsolvable problem. Do you put the border in the Irish Sea or, or on the island of Ireland? That's an unsolvable problem unless you come up with something creative. I came up with something wackily creative there, but that's what you've got to do. Chris, there is about as much chance of the unionists accepting um, the shift in trade to Dublin from Belfast. I wasn't being serious, Jim. I was just trying to illustrate. As there is a a QPR winning the championship this year. Yeah, it's about understanding that you've either got to come up with a, a, a very, very novel solution or the situation that you have in the north, which is that Stormont is, is moribund, and one of the basic tenets of the Good Friday Agreement was about power sharing. If the north is going to be uh, ruled from London forever, which is what it looks like at the moment, then one of the the, the, the legs of the Good Friday Agreement have just been kicked, kicked out from under it, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. As I said, welcome to the next 800 years. Oh, welcome, absolutely. Uh, You should adopt my approach and just ignore it, Chris, okay? Um, Listen, we'll wrap it there. I wanted to talk about Gabriel Malouf and his FT interview, but um, it will last until Friday uh, because there's a lot of stuff to talk about there that I think listeners would find interesting. Absolutely. Um, Thanks very much. Thanks, Um, Jim. Great to talk again. Cheers, buddy. Bye. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated.